This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. One, two, three, four. Welcome to WTS Waikato, Season 2. It's a radio show and podcast about the goings-on in our region under the new normal. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Originally a Māori settlement called Rahui Pōkeka, Huntley was a military post during the Waikato Wars and a Pākehā settlement afterwards. Coal mining began in 1874 and Huntley developed a solid working-class community. So, a lot of people identify Huntley with coal. However, Huntley Museum aims to tell the much broader story of the people in the area and its Māori history, says Deborah Kane, Collections Manager at the museum. Well, first of all, my name's Debbie. I'm the collection manager. I work part-time 20 hours a week. So we're a very small museum in terms of staffing. We rely a lot on volunteers, both for just keeping the doors open, but also doing the work behind the scenes as well, doing all the mahi. So our name has changed. So that's one of the big first things to tell you about. So we used to be called Waikato Coalfields Museum. We're now Huntley Museum, Te Whare Taonga o Rahoe Pōkeka. Um, and that's to just kind of acknowledge the fact that we've changed direction a little bit. So we used to be setting up a museum at Lake Pocaterini. I don't know if you know much about that. Oh, we had this been, old train station. Yeah, so we had the old train station and we moved over to Lake Pocaterini and we're hoping to set up a much bigger museum and it was going to be really focused on the coal fields but it was a little aspirational both for the times and for the funding and perhaps even for the access to public that we had at the time. So that just didn't happen and we had to revisit, we had to pivot COVID things change so we changed it up and we managed to secure a little spot here on Main Street just to secure the collection so the previous building we'd been in had some flooding uh, leaking issues in the roof and we had to get out of that room up in Harlot Place which would have been an old mine manager's house what a lovely spot for a museum gorgeous but really hard to maintain and to the upkeep of it. So we moved to Civic Centre, so we're at 148 Main Street, so we get lots of drop-ins from people walking down the street, which is fabulous, but it means we can only do a much smaller display, so it's more like a showcase, so I call it Showcase on Main Street, um, and that's just letting the funders know what we can do when we're ready to move to the next bigger um, part of what we're, at, we're going to do next, which is kind of really exciting. What's happening next for the museum and the new plans is that we're working along with Waikato District Council to move the station building that the museum saved about 10 years ago and put over at Lake Pukaturini and restored, slowly restoring it. And we're moving it back to the railway platform because the new Tahuia rail line just makes it a little bit more energised and a bit more exciting along there. And now there's a need for a building. There's a need for public facilities uh, for visitors to the train station, which was 
was previously a blank platform. And also we'll have a museum there. So that's a great spot for us, awesome. So we won't be a rail museum, but we will be in a 1939 Heritage Rail building, but we'll be a local history museum. So the focus will be a little broader than previously. We were looking just at the coal fields. It'll be more Huntley history, um, local stories. There'll be a small community gallery there, really small, but something that will be able to be changed and revolved regularly, and it will be community led. So we'll be looking for people in the community to guest curate it, maybe bring in the art, maybe school children bring in their art as well, that type of things, local crafts people, something that will change a lot. And then the rest of the museum will be uh, semi-permanent displays about the history with a pretty decent section on coal mining because that's a really big part of the museum's collection. It sounds like it could become a real cultural hub of Huntley, really, where people yeah. can really identify as this is the place where you go to not only hear about Huntley's history, but to interact with it yourself. Yeah, we're really hoping that's the case. We're going to have a little research area as well, too. A big part of what we do here and what we reason why we stayed open on Main Street is that we do a lot of uh, local research inquiries so sometimes it's family stories sometimes it's just finding out about a building that they have lived in or a shop that used to be here um, sometimes it's finding out about the mines and we've got lots of um, I call them the vertical files lots of clippings and bits of information that have been stacked into folders and people come and we get probably three to five research inquiries a week which for something that's run by part-time and volunteers keeps us quite busy and it'd be really good to have something a bit more solid over at the station where people can make that their research hub and can come and look up those things, maybe even themselves will get most of that digitised. In terms of collection, the collection here is pretty decent size. It's nearly 17,000 artefacts. Uh, 5,000 of those are photos, heritage photos. It's a big photo collection and that's a big part of what we look after and what we can share with people as well too. And all of those items have been donated to the museum by the local community and our parameters are kind of this region, so it's Narawahia, Te Kaufata, and around Huntley region, and that's what we stick to, so uh, collections are secured in this locality. I find it really interesting because you, you, you play down almost the small um, place you currently have on Main Street, but this is, uh, it feels outstanding in here. It really oh, feels like you. a library and it yeah. feels uh, interactive. There's heaps of great um, displays of artefacts out and a lot of people wouldn't know this is here. Yeah, that's true. And, 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 and one of the things we're trying to do is just build up our hours which we're going for more funding to do as well too. So we're open 10 to 2, 3 days a week and then extra hours as our volunteers let us do that. In terms of uh, displays, they're tiny little pocket displays but they can change every 6 months or so and we refresh all the textiles and linen that's on display even quicker than that so you can get to see a little pocket of something. And because it's so small, we're really focusing on things like little slideshows. So we've got a really lovely slideshow around the corner mm -hmm. which is part of our heritage photo collection so it's a way of accessing it for visitors without having to make an appointment and go through all the photo albums. Um, and we've got a volunteer from Hamilton Boys High to come through in the holidays, last school holidays, and sit down and scan the heritage photos and put them all into a canvas slideshow. So that's something lovely for visitors and people really 
love to see it. A lot of the photos are reasonably recent history, I think I would say, compared to some other museums I've worked in. So we're talking about 1960s to 1980s. So people can see themselves or their family. And I think that's a real, that's a real push. That's something that really people want to see in our area. Mm. We are a place where people can come in and email us, uh, ring us or check us on Facebook and make a research inquiry and we can go away and have a look. So we do have some maps here, we do have lots of photos and we do have a big coal library. So the coal library I think is about just under 2,000 books from the Solid Energy uh, Coal Company that are not just from them but a lot of their material and a lot of other coal related books. So then we've got things like pay books as well too from early days in the coal mines. Um, yeah, lots of different types of things, but it's best to make that research inquiry. You can fill out a little form if you want to, and it might take a week or two weeks, but you'll mm -hmm. get all your information back. Does the museum have a connection with a Solid Energy? previously had quite a strong connection with them, and it was a funding connection, and I think that was for the whole community. It's a little less these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. Look, just... It's basically line of sight where the the train station yeah. building is going to be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be really great, and it's nice and central. Um, and I think it's something where I can imagine people taking train trips from Hamilton. You know, imagine bringing it your kids to on a train trip and you stop off in Huntley and I, it's under, I don't undersell Huntley but it's really beautiful that coming along the river I drive along the river from Hamilton every day and it's just stunning it's mm -hmm. really beautiful really beautiful spots so I can imagine people doing that people making a day trip come out to Huntley have a look through the museum there'll be something for the kids to do uh, maybe a little coal tunnel walkthrough we're thinking at the moment so um, like a little diorama and have a little walk around the river and lakes. Time frame for the museum though is we're looking probably moving the building October this year um, and then it will take us some more months to build the display up. Mm -hmm. um, but for now people can come and do research inquiries with us and come in and just see our little showcase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I tell you about an object? Yes that please. Be Should we swap yeah, places and I'll show cool. you something? Yeah. So because I knew you were coming I thought um, are you okay? I thought I'd show you something that we had in the collection that I really love. Mm -hmm. So um, one of my favourite things in the collection is this little soldier's diary and it came in last year. It's a World War One soldier's diary. Wow. And it comes from the Cox family, who are a family who still have people connected in Huntley living here now. Um, it's gorgeous, small, probably is just a little bit bigger than my hand, yeah. and I've got quite small hands, so if you were a man-sized hand, I think it would be quite small fit in your palm. And it's 1917, New Zealand War Contingent Association Christmas, 1917, so that was given out at Christmas, with all wishes from the New Zealand War Contingent. It's a little war diary, oh, wow. so inside it has its map. Um, you can see Belgium, Western area Europe, and in the front there we have the membership card for this person whose name was Matthew Cox, he was a private. He enlisted in 1917 and he came from Hunley. And inside this little diary, um, little bits of information for military definitions, some flags, and inside as we go just a little bit further, um, some handy hints on how to find your way at night time. Wow. Isn't that great? Also how to tell it by the position of the sun and of the position of the stars, find, finding your direction by night, the pole star. 
Wow. And as you go through, um, what I really like about it, and we'll get to it in a second, but is it has little handy hints on each page of how to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of think of them as little lifestyle hacks. Um, I haven't got my glasses on, so I've got tiny, really tiny eyes, but I feel like I could find one that was just little things like squeaking boots. It's very annoying to find that your boots squeak when you're engaged in a particular piece of tracking. Squeaking boots can be easily cured in this way. From your shoemaker, get two wooden pegs. Then, having a small hole in the centre of the sole of each boot, drive the pegs home. After this, you will find your boots will squeak no more. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Yeah, so little is. hacks all the way through. Uh, yeah, like life hacks. Keep your lamp trim. Portable cot for a bivouac. How to make a bivouac. Wow, this is like a compendium for life in general. I love it so much. The the cover is so beautiful. I can't believe how intact mm. that is, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be so careful because as I'm turning the pages, I can feel that they're quite brittle. Yeah. You're holding them, but as as this Matthew Cox went to war in 1917, went off for training, Hi. and... As he came through, he he used this diary, and it was so lovely to get it and not know much about him. And as I was just going through this box of stuff that we had, included pictures of him, and this diary, I didn't know much about his story. So as I was reading the days and the dates, this was all new to me. So in, mm-hmm. in these days, it says on the 9th of September 1918, on Sunday, he's penciled he's penciled in the middle there out. So he's and then on 24th, the Tuesday, he says over the top. So it's really exciting to see that he makes his way through the war. Mm-hmm. He's in support, he writes he's in support on different days. And then again, on the 28th of said day in September, he says, went to the front line. So it's really a record of his journey. His journey, which yeah. is amazing. And just there's only a little, there's not very much room in the diary. You can really only scribble a few little notes. And he's used mm. pencil the whole way through. Um, and it, But it tells you so much about what's happening. And as I was reading this, I had no idea whether, when he went over the top, I mean, there's all these blank bits and you don't know what happened. And yeah. you're like, what's his story? Um, and so I was really excited to get further on down the diary and to find out that he made his way home. Mm. And he spent a little bit of time in hospital. But he made his way back to New Zealand and his war continued after this diary finishes in 1918. He's still making his way through. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for getting out. This is one of the joys of working in a place like this is that you get to access these beautiful taonga and and, and the point of them is to show them to people. Mm. There's no point putting these things into the deep, dark bowels of the collection storage room where we have all these thousands of items and we're trying to protect them from light and rodents and pests. Um, I mean, they only come to life when they're seen. Mm. So I take that part of the job really seriously and that's the fun part. Shining a little light on them, putting them in the limelight for a little bit, mm-hmm. as well as caring for them. That's all part and parcel of it. That's the bread and butter of museum work, but showcasing them is the exciting part. And that's why I think. Thank you. What what space did this used to be? It feels like it might have used to have been a library. It has Do that you know sort it of used feeling. To be a newspaper, a newspaper rooms. Oh, did so they, it? I think they had the printing here yes. as well too. So the safe actually, there's a big black safe in the corner there. Really big heavy safe, probably turn the century safe and that came with the building. 
So I decided to, um, people actually wanted to buy it. It's incredibly hard to move um, and it's not mine to sell. But I, I just thought it would make a really great display piece. So we actually let the kids open up and I, I hide treasure in there in the holiday program for them to find, <laughs> which I think is great. It's just nice to sometimes to feel the weight of a door, of an old safe door with its rusty handle. And because it's much older than this building. These buildings were built in the early 80s, I think. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a, it's got that sort of architectural style. Yeah. But um, you've made great use of the space in here. I like it how it just flows. You come straight in the door and there are um, displays and dioramas right there that you can start um, interacting little, with. Little pockets of display, a little coal miners display, which is nice and dark and done up to look like they're down a mine shaft with a, a miner who's lost a finger, yeah. which the kids love. Yeah. <laughs> So kids like the gory parts. So this is our small display space. And yeah, we changed the office so that we can work in here because security is important to us too. And we're quite a small operation, so we can be here working, but also see people who might want to come in and just have a little showcase. And then next door in the old, um, used to be an old cinema, um, we've got all the collection stored in there. Would you like to see oh, it? Oh, that would be great, thanks. <laughs> That's really cool, it's in an old cinema. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just keep the door open so I can, what I might yeah. have to do is run backwards and forwards. Of course. Of course. <gasps> oh my goodness. So this is the collection that we can keep under a roof. So the museum does have big things that we have stored outside in places around Huntley that are much bigger, mostly mining equipment. Um, and until we get a place to really look after those properly, they're just where they are right now. But this is all the smaller stuff. So we have up on the stage where the cinema was, um, it's a big high ceiling room. It's not ideal for a museum collection because we want lower ceiling so we can manage the temperature and the humidity in a space. So this is very difficult to manage the humidity. I cannot manage it. It's not something that's possible, mm. but it's all secure and it's dry. So that's a win for me. And it's nice to have everything all in one place. So up on the stage, we've got agricultural equipment. So there's things like old rakes and spades and things that people were using in gardens and then below that is mining equipment so really long metal drill bits maybe 10 feet long massively long quite heavy and then we've got a line of furniture so the furniture is domestic furniture that's come to Huntley uh, that was used in Huntley so used in people's houses that people have gifted to us lots of um, singer sewing machines that pop up from their tables, lots of dining room chairs, some beautiful furniture, a really large clock that would have hung outside and it didn't hang in our railway, so I don't know where it's come from. Maybe it was in a, a town building. Yeah, close by. it, it looks, looks like, like it could that. be outside a library or something yeah. even, like just a central community space. So I've been looking at photos trying to identify it and I haven't been able to, but it's really large. Like how big would you say that was? Um, I don't know, three foot. And then we've got old washing machines from like the 1920s. We've got an icebox from the 1920s, a TV from the 1960s. So most of our collection would be, I would say 1900 to 1960s. And then we just slowly collect from 1960s onwards because we've run out of space, but we just take little bits and pieces that add to the collection. It often will show a progression of something. Uh, it's quite useful for us when we're showing kids perhaps a progression of technology 
through the years was quite good. So we sometimes used kitchen items to show that or lighting items to show that from candles to oil lamps to so on. Um, so we've got old electric vacuums from the 1930s, that really early ones, as well as old prams. And if I just turn you around and we go past these kitchen items, and then we've got everything in acid-free boxes, which are lovely. Uh, quite expensive, all these acid-free boxes. So the big ones down here, which would be about, um, oh, nearly a metre long, some of them, cost $60 each. So it's a real investment that we make to look after these items, which really is why we're so careful about what we take in. So we're going to invest that time and money in it and to look after it for a really long time. Um, we don't think 10 years, we think 50 years when we're plan doing our planning like that. Um, and so this textile collection, which is costume and clothing, some of the earliest pieces would be from the 1860s, of people wearing costume that clothing people wore in Huntley, right through to miners' boots from the 1960s. So in here, there's so much stuff. The floor space of this old cinema is huge. I love seeing the windows up there where the projector would have used to yeah. cast the films out of. Um, but there's so much stuff in here. Um, you've got enough for a... A, a generic museum, not to mention a Huntley museum, don't yeah, you? Yeah. There's it's, such a diversity of stuff here. And it's, it's a decent sized collection and I think probably the bits that we can't see, like the photos are actually quite a massive part of the collection. 5,000 is a decent size for any museum I think to look after. Um, and then there's the social history items which are all these things in the boxes. Um, and all the stuff we can see at the front here in the plastic tubs, so there's probably about 15 or so plastic tubs, all the things yet to be catalogued um, that I know about. There's probably other things in there that are yet to be catalogued that I don't know about. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, this looks yeah. like a, a department store like it looks like walking into a department store and well, there the are just racks of, and yeah. aisles and there is so many things and all the labels of the different sections and the different items which are going to be um, accessioned as it says on it yep. to be accessioned. Yep. What does accession so mean? So that really just means we're giving it a museum number, bringing it into the collection and we're making it our permanent item that we're looking after. So that differentiates between things that might be on loan to the museum. We take very few loans, they're probably only for a small short display we might loan something in or out, um, but in terms of accessioning it means it's becoming ownership of the museum so we give it its own unique number and that's its number that we track and we actually write those numbers on the objects. Um, there's newer, more permanent ways that people are doing that with barcodes now, but we're still doing it old school and we put a little bit of varnish down and we write a really teeny tiny number on the reverse which is actually quite nice and tactile to do that to the objects as long as you're doing it discreetly um, and that's our way of tracking them um, and we do we actually physically write on the objects because number tags like paper tags can be written, uh, eaten by insects or lost or damaged over long periods of time that we keep things so we know that this method will last um, and it also means that we then catalogue it so we put it into a database onto the computer and it gets a full catalogue so it gets all its detail a bit of research and most importantly its backstory or its provenance like where it came from why it's important um, and its authenticity to this place and to the story that it might be connected to. And sometimes things have a really important story and it might be quite an average looking object. And other times the object itself might be really interesting by itself, whether there's a big story around it or not. Mm. Um, 
we have a small Tonga collection. You can see uh, a hinaki over here. So these ones, yes. hinaki and a little basket. These ones are quite modern um, Tonga. So they've only been made in the 1960s. Uh, and that's why they're out sitting on top of a shelf. And our other ones that we have are a little bit older um, and they're pre-colonial times and that we keep them in the acid-free boxes. A lot of the Tonga in this collection was repatriated back to Marais about 10 years ago. The Marais here are quite strong and good at looking after their own Tonga, so that was the best place for them. Um, and saying that, we do have a lovely hanaki on display in the front of the museum there, which is really cute. Well, the, this space in here, the cinema, is absolutely huge compared to the display area of the museum. You mm. just have so much stuff, which yeah. is one wonderful. So much stuff. It's wonderful to know that you do, yeah. and that it's all being looked after and it's all being paid attention to. Mm. But this isn't a small operation, is it, for your small group of um, That's staff? Right. I think it is um, massively underfunded for what's needed but I think also museums are becoming more professional so a lot of these institutions these small museums started off completely volunteer running completely just a band of volunteers who loved history like you do got together and started collecting things and didn't want things to get lost or stories to get lost and then that just grew around and then they grow so big that you have to start bringing professionals in to kind of just pull it back a little rein it in a little bit don't accept everything you offer just stick to your protocol, your procedures, and then to look at caring for them long term. But like I said, making sure they get out into the limelight. So we tend to think of it in, in museum work in general is that you're putting maybe 5% of your collection on display and the rest of it's in storage, partly to look after it and to keep it well so it's not out in the light all the time and degrading, but also just that's the realities of the physical space of the collections that we hold. Um, I actually really like museums that have portholes to their collection storage areas so visitors can have a little peek in and see what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. I think that's really fun and it's a good reminder that like an iceberg, there's lots below the surface Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's really special and captured my imagination to yeah. come in here and see everything you've got. Wow. And all of the, all of the um, lamps that are strung up on the set yeah. That's a little lamps. Yeah, <laughs> imagine changing the lights. Again. Yeah. This is a council building, so we're really lucky to have that council support that we're allowed to use this council building. Um, we've got another seven years on the lease here, and then we'll rethink what happens. It's a big production to move all these items, we're really careful about moving them. Um, but at the moment we're lucky enough that council maintains the building for us, which is a really big help. And they also give us some support funding. Uh, and the rest of the funding that we need, we have to go out to places like Trust Waikato and Well Energy and seek contestable funding each year. Um, and so far that's been going really well for us just in the short time that I've been here, but it's something that you can never stop doing. You always have to keep on doing, particularly because we want to keep our doors open for free or koha. We want to make sure that the people who need to see, and this is their family items, can come in and see them for free. I think that's really cool and really big part of what we're here for. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.